0: What is going on, sports fans? Welcome to Season 6, Episode 15 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. We've got a loaded episode for you this week. We're going to talk all things in the National Football League, including a Week 15 recap. The Browns somehow pull it off again. They somehow do it again in a game that felt lost against the Chicago Bears. Joe Flacco the defense Kevin Stefanski the Browns find a way to get it done to improve to nine and five we'll talk about that I'll give you a breakdown of that game plus some other storylines around the National Football League Brandon Staley swan song and some other big time games in the NFL including the Bills perhaps getting back into not only the conversation for the playoffs maybe the conversation for the AFC East so we got a lot of NFL to talk to I'm going to give you my week 16 picks as well update the playoff picture with our seven in heaven predictions for the AFC and the NFC. We'll also talk about some of the storylines in the NBA. Cavs dealing with a lot of injuries. Evan Mobley out for some time. Darius Garland out for some time. And are the Clippers really for real? They're on a nice little winning streak here ever since they got James Harden. I talk about if I think they if if I think that they can sustain that moving forward and if I could see themselves becoming a legitimate contender in the west so that's what's on tap for today's show if you like the podcast be a friend tell a friend share the podcast rate the podcast five stars and spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast and you can follow the podcast on instagram at jote sports pod all right today is thursday december 21st let's go Welcome to Season 6, Episode 15 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host with the most too sweet to be sour at the top of the hour. It's your man, Jack Bernie, talking all things sports for the next hour on this Thursday in December, right before Christmas. And if you're listening to this on Christmas or around Christmas Eve, I want to be one of the first to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday to all my fans or anybody who's listening out there. And I hope you guys enjoy the time with family and friends coming up and the holiday season. All right, let's talk about it. Week fifteen, the NFL season. We got to start in Cleveland. The Bears seventeen, the Browns twenty. The Browns somehow find a way to do it again. They somehow find a way. I thought this game was over on Sunday watching the Browns. It was seventeen to seven at the end of the third quarter. Joe Flacco had thrown three interceptions and the Browns offense was either turning the ball over or not moving at all. Montez Sweat was dominating against pretty much all backup offensive linemen for the Browns. And I thought this game was over and I'm like, all right, you're eight and six. It's, you know, you got Houston, then you got the jets, then you got the Bengals. You got to find a way to win two of those. And then the fourth quarter, the Browns flipped a switch. Joe Flacco throws for 212 passing yards, the most fourth-quarter passing yards by a Browns quarterback in 45 years, he he throws an absolute C to Amari Cooper with about three minutes left in between three defenders on a rope, and Cooper takes it 51 yards for a touchdown. That tied the game at 17, and the Browns' defense was fantastic. Yes, I mentioned the Bears were up 17-7, to but two of those touchdowns came directly off the results of interceptions. One of them was a pick six by Tremaine Edmonds. The other one was an interception by Eddie Jackson that the Bears returned inside the five-yard line. And then the Bears offense, you know, punched it in a couple of plays later, but they had a really short field. So the Browns' defense was incredible. The Bears weren't moving the ball well at all. Justin Fields, 166 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. And, you know, Miles Garrett, I think Miles Garrett is the MVP, or not the MVP, the defensive player of the league, so the defensive MVP. The NFL this season he dominated the game on Sunday against the Bears he was getting held time and time again the refs were not throwing the flag and I'm not one to complain about the refs but it was pretty obvious some of the times he was getting held and he obviously came out in a press conference a couple weeks ago called out the referees and the officials for not giving him holding calls and I think that they're maybe punishing him a little bit but despite that despite not getting any sacks he dominated the game I mean, they were triple teaming him, they were double teaming him, and on the biggest drive of the game for the Bears when it was 17-17, the Bears get the ball back. He gets a 5-yard tack 5-yard tackle for loss on a run on first down to set them behind the sticks, and they ultimately punt. The Browns get the ball back and Joe Flacco finds David Njoku on a couple of huge passes. I think it might have been David and David Njoku's best game as a Brown on Sunday. He's been incredible this year, and a part of it is the chemistry he's developing with Joe Flacco. You know, We've waited for David Njoku as Browns fans to kind of take that next step as a tight end. We drafted him with our with one of our three first round picks in twenty seventeen. Obviously, the same class they drafted Miles Garrett in, but we knew the talent was there. We knew he had the potential. We were kind of waiting for him to break out. He didn't do it with Baker. He didn't do it with Deshaun, and but now he's starting to do it with Flacco. Ten catches, one hundred four yards, one touchdown for Njoku on Sunday. He had the two biggest besides the cooper touchdown the two other biggest catches of the game well maybe two of the of the three other biggest catches of the game one was on one was one of the first plays of that drive to get the browns on the other side of midfield then they faced a the third and 15 flacco found najoku and he got all the way down to the 25 setting up dustin hopkins for a game winning kick you'd think with 32 seconds left the Browns take a 20 to 17 lead Dustin Hopkins has also been incredible this season I mean going into the year we knew the Cade York discussion was one that a lot of people had opinions on I thought they needed to get rid of Cade York and that not having a reliable kicker would cost you in certain games but trading for Dustin Hopkins who's been outstanding who has I believe 32 or 33 field goals on the year and a lot of game-winning kicks as well. I mean, think about the game-winning kicks Hopkins has had. He, he won the game against the Niners. He won the game against the Steelers. He won the game against Baltimore. He won the game against Chicago. He They don't win that game against Indianapolis when he, he was the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week without him. Like, he has been crucial for the Browns' success this year. So that's a testament to Andrew Berry for making that trade for Dustin Hopkins. But and Joku had those two big catches in the final drive to get the Browns in field goal range. And um, so that was huge. That Cooper touchdown was huge. But the turning point, I think, happened um, early in the fourth quarter. It was Flacco throwing. He he completed a 57-yard pass to Marquise Goodwin, which is why I said, yeah, the Cooper touchdown was huge. The Njoku catches were huge. But I think that Goodwin catch might have been the turning point because it was early in the fourth quarter, it was 17-7. The Browns' offense wasn't doing anything. Flacco had just come off throwing his third interception. You're thinking, man, oh man, how bad has he been? I was even clamoring for them to try and put in DTR. That's how bad Flacco was for the first three quarters of that game on Sunday. And then he just unloads this perfect deep ball, 57 yards, to Marquise Goodwin to get him inside the 25. They kick field goal on that drive, but Flacco made that throw, and I started thinking, all right, If Flacco can make some throws, the Browns got a chance because of how this defense is playing. And sure enough, they did. But despite all of that, in true Cleveland Browns fashion, of course, it came down to the very final seconds. So the Bears get the ball back down 20-17, 32 seconds left. They have one timeout. Fields hits, I believe it was Tyler Scott, on a 30-yard pass down the sideline it gets him to like I believe the 50 or the 45 yard line of the Browns so they have a Hail Mary with obviously his time expires so Fields rolls to his left he fires it downfield it gets knocked down by the Browns defenders tipped right into the arms of Darnell Mooney Darnell Mooney has the ball he has possession of the ball if he just sits there and covers up the ball the game is over it's a touchdown the Bears win the Browns lose a heartbreaker but for some reason, Darnell Mooney didn't think he had full control of the ball, and he started flailing. He kicks the ball up right into the arms of DeAnthony Bell. The Browns get an interception, and the Browns somehow find a way to win. But my – I was watching the game in the WTWO newsroom uh, with, with my friend Will, who's a, a Colts fan. But he was telling me, dude, you guys got this. The Browns won. You guys win. You know, you, you guys are 9-5. Because I, I was very negative in the fourth quarter of this game. I was like, Will, we're not going to win. Flacco's been awful. Then they started coming back. And I'm like, all right, maybe we have a chance. They kicked that field goal. Will's like, dude, are you happy? I'm like, yeah, I'm happy we're winning. He's like, yeah, you guys won. I'm like, no, there's still 32 seconds left. I've seen this team before. I've been a fan of this Browns team for 32, for not 32, 23 years. And um, I know that 32 seconds is way too much time and something could happen. And Fields throws that Hail Mary, and it's in the arms of Darnell Mooney. And I was glad that it wasn't the heartbreaking loss that I thought could happen, and that the Browns were able to knock it down, get it, the interception somehow, and win the game, and get to nine and five on the season. And now they find themselves in a really great adv- advantageous position with three games to go. They're in the top. Uh, they're in possession of that top wildcard spot in the AFC at nine and five. According to the New York Times, they have a 92% chance to make the playoffs entering week 16. 6% chance still to win the division, but 92% chance to make the playoffs. And their next three opponents, they might be getting three backup quarterbacks. They have the Houston Texans this week in Houston. Always tough to play in Houston. It seems like the Browns always seem to struggle there. They've won a couple of games there the last couple of years. I remember last year they won. It was Watson's first start back last year. He played awful, and they were down like 5-0 for the majority of that first half. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones had a big punt return. But for some reason, they play weird games where they struggle in Houston. So I'm not saying it's a guaranteed win, but they are facing a backup quarterback because it seems like, in all likelihood, C.J. Stroud is going to miss his second straight game in concussion protocol. And that means it's going to be the former Brown Case Keenum starting things for the Texans and really a big game for both teams I would say it's probably a little bigger for the Texans because they kind of need every win they can get whereas the Browns have nine wins they kind of have that cushion over every other team that's fighting for the wild card spots in in the AFC that are stuck with eight or seven wins and then so they have Case Keenum this week they have maybe Zach Wilson whoever the Jets run out the week after and then Jake Browning who has played really well the last couple of weeks to round out the season? So, I really like where the Browns are to make the playoffs. 92%, like I said, according to the New York Times, they got the Texans, Jets, and Bengals. I could see them honestly winning two of the three, getting to 11 and six. I don't think that'll be nearly enough to win the AFC North, but it should be enough to get you a five seed and hopefully a good matchup in the first round in the wild card round. So, but the Browns keep finding ways to do it. I mean, Miles Garrett's the defensive player of the year. I mean, there's been a lot of more, lot more buzz and talk about it this week because Kevin Stefanski came out and said Miles Garrett's the defensive player of the year. Jim Schwartz came out and said something like, "Yes, I know that Miles Garrett hasn't had a sack in four games, but if you watch the games, he is dominating the game still, and nobody in the league, in my opinion, no other player in the league." requires more preparation than miles garrett does and what i mean by that is you have to scheme ways to block him you have to scheme up double teams you have to scheme up triple teams because he is that dominant of a force in the league and i don't think any other player in the league um requires that much more preparation jim schwartz came out today and said um he's the best the he's like reminds him of ray lewis and calvin johnson in terms of those are like the best players he's coached with so that's really high praise and i think he's a defensive player of the year no doubt i also think kevin stefanski should be getting co- more coach of the year buzz than he is because th- th- this there this the injuries are just insane you know you got obo Okoronkwo out for the year now you got grant delpit out for the year like the injuries keep piling up and piling up and um Still, the Browns find ways to win. They're on their fourth quarterback. They've won a game with four different starting quarterbacks, and they're going to go to the playoffs. I mean, that's a testament to Kevin Stefanski. I don't think he'll win the award. I think rightfully so. It probably should be given to Shane Steichen or D'Amico Ryans. But I think Stefanski should definitely be in the thick of the conversation, if nothing else. So, really like where the Browns are at. And I'll, I'll 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 start this discussion. Then we'll kind of segue to the other games in Week 15. I was listening to Cleveland sports radio this week, and they brought this this prompt up: Is this season more special than the 2020 season? Right now, I would say no, because of we know how that 2020 season ended. We don't know how this one's going to end. Like the 2020 season, you had, you know, you were 11 and five. Um, you had that outstanding win against the Bengals where Baker throws the five second half touchdowns and the game winner to people's Jones, but then you had some signature wins that year. Um, the Titans win the uh, Cowboys win, but it didn't really feel like down to the wire like this year has, but then you had the win against Pittsburgh in the playoffs, 48, 37, big Ben's crying on the sideline after the game. I mean, I don't that beating Pittsburgh in the playoffs for your first playoff win since 1995 is something that's going to be hard to top this year. But it's very comparable in like the 2020 season to the 2023 season in terms of enjoyment level for fans. It um it is very very comparable. So that's what I would say. But I would say the difference between the 2020 season and 2022 season is that we don't know how the 2022 season is going to end. The 2020 season ends with the the you know the heartbreaking loss to the Chiefs in the divisional round, but you get that win against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. On the flip side, Brown uh, the 2023 season for the Browns, you don't know how it's going to end. But I would say this: I think the regular season journey this year has been more exciting than the journey in the regular season in 2020 because. This season for the Browns, they've had – I could count on my hand, like, games that they normally would not win that, that have been, like, thrilling wins. You know, like, the 49ers win. That's one with P.J. Walker. You beat the the best team in the league, the Super Bowl favorites, with P.J. Walker as your starter. That Colts win that I witnessed in person, 39-38, improbable, stunning win. The win in Baltimore was a crazy win. The The Steelers game – in in Cleveland, DTR and the offense is stagnant for two and a half quarters, and then they go on a game-winning drive. And then this week against the Bears. I mean, they are they are the cardiac kids. I mean, Jim, jo- Jim Donovan said it on the radio on Sunday. They are like the cardiac kids were in that they're never out of a game and that they find ways to win. And they do it in the most exciting fashion possible. So it's been a really fun season for the Browns. Hopefully it continues and that they clinch a playoff berth here in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's talk about some other storylines in the NFL from week 15. How about the Raiders? Uh <laughs> they beat the Chargers 63 to 21. Um Br- uh, Brandon Staley is fired was fired after the game rightfully so. I knew it was going to happen. This was shocking. I don't know why. I don't think Brandon Staley's good, but they were down what was it? 42 nothing at halftime the the Chargers quit on Brandon Staley and he lost the locker room I don't know when he did it I thought they should have fired him after they lost to the Jaguars and they blew that 27 nothing um lead in the playoffs last year but this was his last start I mean obviously Herbert's out for the year they go with Easton Stick and then they lose 63 to 21 to a Raiders team who had scored zero points the the, the previous Sunday so it was really strange to see. Uh, I'm glad that they got rid of Brandon Staley. They needed to for Herbert's career's sake. Herbert is too talented to to um, be losing these games. And Brandon Staley is was you know brought in and touted as this defensive coach after his stint with the Rams. And um, his defense was like bottom five every year. So I don't understand how that happens, but. The bad man is gone for the Chargers fans. Staley is gone after a very, very embarrassing 63-21 loss to to end his tenure as Chargers head coach. Then we had three Saturday games. We'll start with the Bengals. They beat the Vikings 27-24 in overtime. I thought this game was over. The Vikings were up 17-3 entering the fourth quarter. And then the Bengals scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. Um, And Jake Browning... It looked like they figured out Jake Browning for the first three quarters of the game. But um, then Jake Browning comes out of nowhere and flips that switch. And shout out to Jake Browning. I mean, undrafted guy um, out of Washington, getting his chance, obviously, with the Joe Burrow injury. And he keeps finding ways to win. Now the Bengals, who I wrote off after Joe Burrow was out for the year, find themselves in the thick of the AFC playoff discussion. Tough loss for the Vikings. Nick Mullins played decent, I would say, but you're up 17-3 against the quarterback on the road, and they allow the Bengals to tie the game, and then they win it in overtime. And then the Vikings just had some hilarious miscues in this game. They were trying to do a tush push at one point. I don't know if it was in the fourth quarter or overtime. I can't remember, but it was like fourth and one, and they line up for the tush push, and Nick Mullins just gets pushed backwards, and I'm like, this is the opposite of how that play is supposed to work. But I just don't see the Vikings having, having enough to, um, make the playoffs in the NFC. I just don't think there's enough talent there, especially at the quarterback position, but we'll see. As for the Bengals, a nice win. I thought they were, they were done. I thought their season was over after three quarters, but they found a way to get it done the fourth quarter, much like the Browns did on Sunday as well. Then we had Colts, Steelers, Colts 30, Steelers 13, Minshew, three touchdowns for the Colts in this game. The Steelers' season is over. Um, yeah, they were up thirteen nothing in this game, and then they allow the Colts to score thirty unanswered. Minshew throws for three touchdowns against them. No Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. No Zach Moss for the Colts, who went out with an injury um, about halfway through this game, and they still found a way to carve him up on the ground with Trey Sermon and Tyler Goodson. Like the Steelers' defense, we always get talked about, told oh, how great the Steelers' defense is. Are they? Are they? Or are they not that great this year? Yeah, they have TJ Watt, who's a great player, leads the league in sacks. But this defense isn't able to win them games like it was early in the season. I don't know if that's because Pickett's out. Quite frankly, I don't think Pickett is that much of an upgrade over Mitch Trubisky, even though Mitch Trubisky's been awful. And obviously, Mike Somlin thinks the same thing is about Trubisky, that he's been awful because they're starting Mason Rudolph this week. But... I think the Steelers season is over and I think they have them they're they're not in a great position for the future because they're they're kind of stuck in limbo between for their quarterback position. They don't know if Pickett's the guy. I think it's pretty clear he's not the guy, but I think the poor play of Mitch Trubisky and in my opinion probably the poor play of Mason Rudolph in Pickett's absence will trick the Steelers into thinking, "Okay, maybe Pickett is the guy. Maybe we should give him another year." I think They're just kind of playing with fire at that point. As for the Colts, big win for the Colts. First time they beat the Steelers since November 2008. Minshew was great 215 yards, three touchdowns. They did get banged up. Michael Pittman obviously left the game with a concussion. I mentioned Zach Moss left the game with an injury, but it was a big win for the Colts. I just continue to marvel at the job Shane Steichen has done with this team all year. You know, they lose Anthony Richardson after week four or week five, whenever it was, their franchise quarterback, who's playing really well to begin the year. They're like, all right, this season's over. Nice story. Colts two and two. It was a nice story. They get that crazy win against Baltimore in Richardson's absence. But, you know, nice story. They're not going to do anything. And in the last seven weeks or six weeks, they're five and one. The only team that's been better than them in the last six weeks is the 49ers. The Colts have been on a roll. Shane Steichen has this offense humming. Gardner Minshew's playing great football. They have a lot of playmakers on that defensive side of the ball as well. I think the Colts are a playoff team. I'll say that. I think they are, and I think that's a, a real, really a testament to Shane Steichen, what he's done coaching this year. And then we had the Lions just absolutely rolling the Broncos 42-17. I think the Lions needed that bounce-back game. They get it. As for the Broncos, it's going to be hard for them to make the playoffs now, I think. Run through some games no one really cares about. The Saints beat the Giants 24-6. The Panthers beat the the Falcons 9-7. The Dolphins beat the Jets 30-0. The Texans beat the Titans 19-16. Then you have the Buccaneers beating the Packers 34-20. Baker Mayfield throws for, I think it was four touchdown passes. And he becomes like the first visiting quarterback in the history of Lambeau Field to record a perfect passer rating, one or quarterback rating, 158.3. And the Bucks are firmly in the driver's seat in the NFC South after the Falcons inexcusably lose to the Panthers on the on the road. Then you have the Chiefs beating the Patriots 27-17. Um the Chiefs still don't look entirely right offensively. Mahomes 305 yards two touchdowns two picks they weren't able to run the ball very well but they were playing the Patriots so it didn't matter Kelsey five catches 28 yards I mean there's something weird there I mean like he hasn't been the same Travis Kelsey I think spare me the Taylor Swift conspiracies I think part of it is probably because he's a 33 34 year old tight end and that father time is undefeated he's still good he's just not the Travis Kelsey that's been able to bail out the Chiefs' shortcomings at receiver like he did last year. So we'll see how that goes in the playoffs, but they get a win over the Patriots, 27-17. 49ers, 45, Cardinals, 29. This game was a dominant performance by the Niners. And Brock Purdy is now your odds-on favorite to win the MVP. Brock Purdy, 16-25, 242 yards, four touchdowns. I... Can't have Brock Purdy be the MVP. He is not the MVP of the league by its definition. And I've talked about this on this podcast before. There are more valuable players on the 49ers than Brock Purdy. Christian McCaffrey, I think, is a better MVP candidate than Brock Purdy. I know it's a quarterback award. I know he's the quarterback on the best team. He's the quarterback on the one seed. And that's kind of been the unwritten qualification in category and uh, categorization for um, MVP quarterbacks. You know, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, the last couple to do it. But Brock Purdy is not the MVP. He's elevated by the talent around him. I said it last week. Him, Tua, Baker are guys that elevate the talent around them, not vice versa like Mahomes, like Josh Allen, like Joe Burrow. So... I think the Niners are the clear Super Bowl favorites, though. I picked them to come out of the NFC before the season. Feel really good about that, especially if they get home field advantage. I don't see them losing a game in the NFC playoffs. But Purdy's your odds on MVP favorite. I don't agree with that, but that's just my opinion. The Rams beat the Commanders 28-20. Then you had the Bills dominating the Cowboys 31-10. to James Cook was the story for the Bills. 25 carries, 179 yards, and a touchdown. Zach Prescott, in my opinion, probably lost the MVP on Sunday. And I think the NFL is going to give it to Purdy. But in a game in which Josh Allen throws seven, completes seven passes for 94 yards and a touchdown, and the Bills won by three scores, that's crazy. Testament to James Cook in the running game. But yeah, that is crazy. But the Bills, they're 8-6. They um, they get the Chargers. The Chargers, the Patriots, and at Miami to end the year. So if they can run the table, and I think if Miami loses one more of their games, is that what it is? Then the Bills could, would win the division. Yeah, so the Dolphins are 10-4. and four. They have Cowboys, Ravens, Bills to end the year. So... That's a very, very tasking task for Miami. So I could see the Bills definitely getting back into the AFC East race, especially if the Dolphins lose to both the Cowboys and the Ravens, which I think is probably something that could happen and probably will happen. So I'm interested to see how the AFC East race Plays out in that regard. Then we had the Ravens beating the Jaguars 23 7. The Jaguars seem like they might be a little bit fraudulent. I don't know. The, the offense was awful on Sunday. Trevor Lawrence, I think we might have crowned him a little too early. I'm a big fan of his. This podcast is a Trevor Lawrence podcast. Chauncey, who I've had on the show several times, we're going to get him on the show for an NFL playoff preview. Um, He's, he was a huge fan of Trevor Lawrence going into the year. He, he picked him to win MVP, picked the Jaguars to go 13-4 and four and be the one seed. And I think Trevor's just let down a little bit. I think maybe we crowned him as a top-five quarterback too early, but they're still going to be a playoff team. As for the Ravens, I think the Ravens are probably the best team in the AFC for sure. Yes, they're the one seed right now, but Lamar's playing high-level football that defense is right up there with the Browns is one of the best le- te- uh, one of the best defenses in the league, and they're really well coached by John Harbaugh. So I like the Ravens as the best team in the AFC right now. As for the and then we had the Monday night game. The Seahawks beat the Eagles twenty to seventeen. Drew Locke with a game winning touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba to complete the comeback for Seattle. Now the Eagles go from ten and one. To 10 and 4. They've lost three games in a row. Maybe time for concern in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, 17 and 31, 143 yards, two picks. He did have 82 yards on the ground and two rushing touchdowns. I think the internal discussion, maybe not internal discussion, is the right word. Maybe like the um conversation around Philly is um is Jalen did Jalen Hurts reach his peak already? I think Chandler Hurts is still a fantastic quarterback, still a top-five quarterback in the league, right? But did he reach his peak? Last year was his best year by far, passing-wise, rushing-wise. He had the four touchdowns in the Super Bowl. This year, he's kind of underwhelmed a lot, and um, they've seen it before with a quarterback in Philly that goes to a Super Bowl early in his career with Carson Wentz. I'm just drawing parallels here. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying that it might be a worry in the back of Philly fans' minds is is all I'm trying to say. So that's what happened in Week 15. Let's get to 7 in Heaven before we get to our Week 16 picks after the break. AFC 7 in Heaven starting with the number 1 overall seed. It is your Baltimore Ravens. I like the Ravens. I think they're going to clinch the AFC North this week or next week. Um, they got a tough schedule to end the year, kinda. I know they play Miami, they play Pittsburgh, and they play the 49ers this week. But Lamar's been great. I just think they need to find a way to edge out Kansas City, and that would probably be winning one more of their game in my one more of their games, and I think they will do that. So I got the Ravens as the one seed, I got the Chiefs as the two seed. Easy schedule to round out the year for the Chiefs. They got the Raiders, Chargers, and there's another easy game in the mix there. It's Raiders, Raiders, Bengals, Chargers. But the Bengals are at home, and it's against Jake Browning. So I think they should finish the season 3-0 and get to 12-5. Maybe be tied for that one seed with Baltimore, but I think Baltimore would have the tiebreaker in my scenario. So I got the Chiefs as the two. I still... Have Miami, the Dolphins, as the three seed. Yes, I'm tempted to put Buffalo in the playoffs as a division winner. But I just think Miami has been too good all year long. And I think Miami will win that game against Buffalo the final week of the season. And I think Miami hangs on and wins the AFC East. So I got them as the three seed. Still rolling with the Jaguars as the four seed in the AFC South. They're in a three-way tie with both the Colts and the Texans, technically for first place in the AFC South. But the Jaguars won both head-to-head matchups against the Colts. So that mean that would mean the Colts are not able to finish tied with the Jaguars if they want to win the division. They would have to finish a game above the Jaguars. And I don't see that happening. Especially because the Jaguars have Carolina on the schedule. They have Tennessee on the schedule. Um, I believe they have Houston the last week on the schedule. No, they have Tennessee twice, right? Is it Tennessee twice? Who is it? Oh, no. It's Tampa... They have Tampa, Carolina, and Tennessee on the schedule. Jacksonville does. So three very winnable games to the Jaguars. So I just don't see the Colts finishing a game ahead of them. And the Texans saying C.J. Stroud being out this week is huge. I think the Texans might catch another loss this week to the Browns with Case Keenum starting. And that would be a, um, kind of a nail in the coffin, so to speak, for the division hopes. So I got the Jaguars at four. I had the Cleveland Browns at five. I think the Browns are going to finish 10-7 or 11-6, hang on to that top wildcard spot in the AFC. The Denver loss was huge for the Browns because Denver has the tiebreaker over the Browns. But I like the Browns. I think they got a favorable schedule to end the season. If Joe Flacco can keep playing well, I see this Browns team going 2-1, getting to 11 wins and finding themselves in that top spot for the wildcard in the AFC. Your sixth seed in the AFC is the Buffalo Bills. I have the Bills going 10-7. and 7. I think the Bills are going to eke out the Bengals for this spot. And I, I just think the Bills are playing really good football. They get back-to-back wins against the Chiefs and the Cowboys. And those are two of the best teams in the league. So it's been a great stretch of football for Buffalo. They need to keep winning. But they have an easy game against... Jake uh not Jake Browning. Um Easton Stick and the Chargers this week and I think they'll get to 9 and 9 and 6 and then they'll have two games two games left, one with the one with the Dolphins, one with the who was it? One with the Dolphins, one with the Why am I forgetting? Patriots. So so they should be able to beat the Chargers and the Patriots get to 10 and 6 setting up that last game with the Dolphins. So I got the Bills at 6. Then I have the Colts at 7 getting that final playoff spot in the AFC. They've been the most consistent all year out of the other teams that are, you know, fighting for this playoff spot. And I think the the CJ Stroud uncertainty is something that's kind of playing into me saying the Colts are going to make it over the Texans, but I think that Colts Texans game in Week 18 has a chance to be a winner get in game. So But I got the Colts right now being the seventh seed in the AFC, meaning the seven seven in heaven this week for the AFC. Number one, Baltimore, two, Kansas City, three, Miami, four, Jacksonville, five, Cleveland, six, Buffalo, seven, Indianapolis. In the NFC, our number one overall seed, to no one's surprise, is the San Francisco 49ers. They've been the best team all season long. They have the MVP favorite, somehow, <laughs> in Brock Purdy. And they have talent across the board. And I just don't see them losing more than one game the rest of the year. So that will get them to 13-4. and four, And I think that will be enough to get the one seed in the NFC. The two seed I have, Philadelphia. I had Dallas last week, but I have Philadelphia. Even though the Eagles have struggled. Actually, you know what? I'm going back on my word. I am taking... Philadelphia out of the two-seed and keeping Dallas in the two-seed, and here's why. So Dallas' final three games, they got Miami. Dallas has Miami this week, so that's at Miami. Tough game. But then they have – sorry, I'm trying to find their schedule here for some reason. Okay, then they have the Lions at home, and then they have – the commanders on the road. So the Cowboys need to finish two and one and the two games they need to win are the lions game and the commanders game. Because if the Eagles finish two and one, which the Eagles have a really easy schedule, giants, Cardinals, giants, but with the way the Eagles are playing right now, I could see them dropping a game to the giants because it's a divisional opponent. So if if the Eagles finish 2-1, the Cowboys need to win those two NFC games because then the tiebreaker that would be used if Philly and Dallas finish with the same record is, I think, conference record since they split their head-to-head matchups. And Philly would have the better conference record if they were to win their final three games and Dallas were to win their final three games. But if Philly were to lose one of their two one of their final three games, and Dallas wins their last two NFC games against Detroit at home, where they've been terrific all year, and at Washington, then Dallas would win the division, and I think that is the more likely of the two scenarios, so I'll take Dallas to be the two seed in the NFC. Three, I have Detroit. The Lions have all but wrapped up the, the NFC North division. They got a big bounce back win against the Broncos on Sunday. They're kind of a roller coaster up and down team and that I don't know how serious of true contenders they are, but they're definitely a, a legit playoff team. So I got the Lions at three, and then I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at four. Finally, some clarity in that NFC South division. I'd said it all season long. I think Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback in the NFC South, and that's why I've picked the Bucs several times on seven in heaven, and I'm sticking with them, especially after Baker's performance on Sunday at Lambeau. Five, I got the Eagles as the top wild card spot. Six, I have the Rams. The Rams have a big game tonight on Thursday Night Football against the Saints. If the Rams win that game, I believe their playoff percentages go to 89%. If they lose, they drop down to like 15%. So it's a big game for the Rams in terms of playoff odds. But I like the Rams to win tonight against the Saints. And I think when they're healthy, which they've been for the majority of the year, they finally got Kyron Williams back. Matthew Stafford's fully healthy. Cooper Cup's back. I think the Rams are one of the best teams in football. And I think the Rams would be a nightmare matchup for whoever gets them in the first round the NFC playoffs. So I got the Rams at 6. Then 7, I have the Seahawks, edging out the Vikings, Packers, and Saints. I just think the Seahawks have the best coach out of those teams. And Pete Carroll has the experience to get a team to the playoffs. And I can see the Seahawks getting in at 9-8. and So I got Seattle. So in the NFC, 7 in heaven this week. 49ers, Cowboys, Lions, Buccaneers, Eagles, Rams – And Seahawks. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. We pick every game in week 16 of the NFL season, talk some NBA storylines as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. This is wrestling legend John Cena, and you can't see me, but you're listening to this week's episode, Jack of All Trades. Here's part two. Welcome back to season six, episode 15 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Let's get right on into it, picking every game of the Week 16 NFL season, starting with Thursday Night Football tonight in Los Angeles. Big game for the NFC wildcard standings. We got the 7-7 New Orleans Saints taking on the 7-7 Los Angeles Rams. Rams are about four-point favorites in this game. Um, I think the Rams are the better team. I think the Saints might not be very good. The Saints obviously still have a chance to win the NFC South, but... I like the Rams to win and keep their 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 momentum going. So I got the Rams winning. I would say about 24-20 would probably be my final score prediction for that game. So I will take the Rams to beat the Saints. Bengals Steelers in Pittsburgh on Saturday. I'm going to take the Steelers at home in a little bit of an upset. Mason Rudolph starting. Um... Part of the reason, I'm a big fan of Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday. I'll explain why that matters in a minute. But they're starting Rudolph on Christmas Eve. You know, Rudolph has historically, if you listen to the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, has historically put up good numbers on Christmas Eve. And so I think Mason Rudolph will follow in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer's footsteps and do that. But no, in all seriousness, I think Jamar Chase being out, potentially, probably, I think, Let me double check and make sure he's out because that is going to hinge my prediction on this, but I'm pretty sure Jamar Chase is out, and he's kind of been a safety blanket, so to speak. Yeah, Jamar Chase is out um, against the Steelers, and I think he's been a safety blanket blanket for Jake Browning, and the Steelers defense, despite how up and down the season has been for Pittsburgh, the Steelers defense always shows up for games in Pittsburgh. So I got the Steelers winning a little bit of an upset. I'll take them over the Bengals, though. Chargers over uh, against the Bills. Bills over the Chargers is a lock, so I'm going to take the Bills to beat the Chargers, get to nine and six, win their third straight game. Then we got Colts in Atlanta over the fa- uh, against the Falcons. I like the Colts on the road. I think the Colts are good. They're well coached. I think the Falcons are bad and poorly coached. That's my rationale there. Packers at Panthers. I'll take the Packers to beat Carolina on the road, get to seven and eight on the year. Then we got Browns and Texans in Houston. I got the Browns winning this game, especially if it is going to be Case Keenum, which is what it sounds like it's gonna be. I think Joe Flacco plays well enough. I think the defense, if the defense can show up on the road and make life difficult for Case Keenum, I like the Browns to beat the Texans. Then we got the Lions and the Vikings in Minnesota. I'll take the Lions I'll take the Vikings to win that game, actually. I'll take the Vikings to win that game at home. Lions are due for a letdown after that big game against the Broncos, I think. And I don't see the Lions flat out sweeping the Vikings, despite how concerned i am about the vikings so i think the vikings are going to win this game against the lions at home get to eight and seven on the year commanders jets who cares game of the week give me the commanders and the eh, give me the jets i'll take the jets at home uh seahawks at titans in tennessee i'll take the seahawks especially if will levis doesn't play jaguars at tampa bay in tampa bay big game for both teams jaguars trying to stop the losing skid tampa bay trying to keep their um they stranglehold on the NFC South uh, division lead in play. I'm going to take the Jaguars on the road, I think, to beat the Buccaneers. Um, then we got another who cares game. Cardinals at Bears. I'll take Chicago at home. Probably the game of the week, Miami at uh, hosting Dallas in Miami. I like Dallas on the road. I think Dallas bounces back. Miami doesn't have a healthy offensive lineman right now. And I think Michael Parsons and that defense makes life very difficult on Tua. And I think Dallas really bounces back after last week. I don't think Dallas is as bad as they showed us last week. Yes, they've struggled on the road. Yes, they've struggled against teams with a winning record. But Miami has also struggled against teams with a winning record. So I got Dallas beating Miami. Broncos taking on the Patriots at home. I like the Broncos to win that game. Raiders taking on the Chiefs in Kansas City. I got the Chiefs. Giants going to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. And then the real game of the week is – so I got the Eagles beating the Giants. I don't know why I just didn't say that. The real game of the week is 49ers-Ravens, a battle of the one seeds in San Francisco. I'm expecting a great game on Monday Night Football on Christmas Day. But I got the 49ers beating the Ravens to get to 12-3. and So if these results hold my picks for week 16 – Rams beating the Saints, Steelers beating the Bengals, Bills beating the Chargers, Colts beating the Falcons, Packers beating the Panthers, Browns beating the Texans, Vikings beating the Lions, Jets beating Washington, Seattle over Tennessee, Jacksonville over Tampa Bay, Chicago over Arizona, Dallas over Miami, and then Denver, Kansas City, Philly, and San Francisco all the win? Here's what the playoff picture would look like. In the AFC, the Ravens would hold on to the 1 seed at, I believe they'd be 11-4. The Chiefs would be the 2 seed at 10-5. The Dolphins would be the 3 seed at 10-5. Jacksonville would be the 4 seed at 9-6. The Browns would be the 5 seed at 10-5. The Colts would be the 6 seed at 9-6. And, and the Bills would jump the Bengals, obviously, be the 7 seed at 9-6. and six. In the NFC, the 49ers would stay at the one seed at 12 and 3. The Cowboys would be the two seed at 11 and 4. Detroit would be the three seed at 10 and 5. Tampa Bay would stay in the four seed at 7 and 8. The Eagles would be the five seed at 11 and 4. Then you'd have Minnesota at the six at 8 and 7. The Rams at the seven at 8 and 7. So that's what the playoff picture will look like if my predictions come true. So let's, let's transition to the NBA now. Um,. So we mentioned the Browns have been dealing with a lot of injuries this year. Well, the Cleveland Cavaliers said, oh, you guys like getting injured? Hey, we like getting injured too. Let's do it. (laughs) And they have dealt with their own injury share. Darius Garland breaks his jaw. He is going to be out for, I believe, the next, what was it, Three three to four weeks? I think it was three to four weeks for Darius Garland. And then Evan Mobley is getting a procedure on his knee. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. So the Cavs are out two of their best players, two of their top three players, two of their starters for the next, I don't know, month, two months, maybe even longer for Mobley. And so it's kind of brought up the question around the league. I listened to the Bill Simmons podcast, I'm a big fan of Bill Simmons, as you guys have told me, as, as you guys have heard me say on this podcast before, but he did a podcast with Ryan Rossillo on earlier this week. And they were doing hypothetical NBA trades, since it is trade season in the NBA. And the title of the podcast was Mitchell's Next Team, which means a lot of people around the league think the Cavs might be trading Mitchell. Do I think the Cavs are going to trade Mitchell now? Heck no. They have Mitchell under contract for next year, and they have a player option the year after that. So there's no reason to trade him this year at all, in my opinion, especially when the Cavs are 3-0 since the Garland and Mobley injuries have been announced. And I think Mitchell's done a great job of not only scoring the ball, but facilitating when he needs to as well. Against Atlanta a couple nights ago, Mitchell had 22 points and 13 assists. And then he missed last night's game with an illness, which the Cavs beat the Jazz. But then against the Rockets the other night, he he took on more of a scoring output with 37 points and six assists. But he's really become more of a facilitator as well, getting more players involved. And we've seen his ability, Mitchell, to carry a team offensively for weeks at a time. So the Cavs have to hope that's what's happened. And they have to hope players around him keep stepping up. They have to hope Jared Jared Allen keeps playing well. Like Jared Allen in that game against the Hawks, in the win against the Hawks. Jared Allen, 25 points, 14 rebounds. That is going to do every time. That is going to play every time. I mean, that's what the Cavs need from him, especially with Mobley and Garland being out. But the Cavs are also getting these contributions from other players in this three-game winning streak without Mobley and Garland. Sam Merrill... Undrafted player, G League guy, Summer League guy this year, he puts up 27 points last night in the win against the Jazz, including eight made three-pointers. He was incredible. And obviously, they still have Max Strews, who can be a viable offensive option. They need guys like like some X-Factors, like Sam Merrill, like Craig Porter Jr., like Isaac Okoro, like Karis LeVert, to step up and be able to score points and impact the game When you're missing the scoring outputs of both Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, the Cavs defense takes a hit as well. But in a weird sense, this injury, these two injuries for the Cavs might be a good thing for their future. And let me explain that. So I've always been a skeptic. If you listen, listen to me talk about Cavaliers basketball in this podcast, I've always been a skeptic of the two big guys working, Mobley and Allen, two big guys who don't really have an outside game working together and being able to be played in the modern-day NBA together. And I've also been skeptical about having two undersized ball-dominant guards on the same team, like Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. So I thought the Cavs were probably going to be put at a crossroads and at a decision-making point at some point where they have to decide. Well, obviously, they already decided on Garland because they extended Garland. But especially with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, all right, we got to commit to one of these two guys and, and ship the other guy for assets. And I think now this gives them the opportunity to evaluate what they want. I think a lot of people around NBA circles and a lot of people around the league think that the Cavs were always going to pivot to being a Mobley and Garland-centric team. And maybe this stretch of basketball, if things start to go south for the Cavs right now, it will give them an excuse to ship Allen and eventually ship Mitchell, knowing that they're going to build their, their, their team around the two stars that they think are Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. With that being said, I really want Donovan Mitchell to work out in Cleveland. Do I think if I had to put money on what his end ends up being in Cleveland, I would probably guess they trade him in the offseason, especially if they get bounced in the playoffs early again. Will I be happy to be wrong? Yes. Do I hope that he works things out and that him and Garland can coexist as two guards because Donovan Mitchell, I think, is a top 15 player in the league? Also, yes. I'm just trying to be as realistic as I can about the whole situation. But this season is not lost for the Cavs. It's going to be hard with those guys out for an extended period of time, but they're sixteen and twelve right now. They just got to find a way to get in the play in. I'd prefer prefer them to be a top six seed in the East, but obviously that's not guaranteed anymore with Mitchell uh, and Allen kind of running the show while Garland and Mobley are out for an extended period of time. But it still is an important season for the Cavs, not only because it might be your last year with Donovan Mitchell. But because it was supposed to be the year you take that next step. Last year, you were the playoff contender. Uh, You know, uh, two years ago, you were the playoff contender, surprise team, with the young talent. Then last year, you acquired Donovan Mitchell for three first round picks. You get rid of Colin Sexton and Larry Markin in that trade as well. And you win 50 games and you get bounced in the first round. The lights were too bright, you know? This year, the lights were not supposed to be too bright. You are supposed to learn from that losing experience in the first round of the playoffs and try to make a deep run in the Eastern Conference. And I knew a lot of people going into the season who thought, with the uncertainty surrounding Philadelphia, obviously Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey have answered some of those questions, but that the Cavs might be able to become the third-best team in the Eastern Conference. And now, obviously, with the the injuries they've been dealt with, that's probably not going to happen. But this season needs to be one where the Cavs go for it and the Cavs try and win, not only because it might be your last year with Mitchell, but because it was supposed to be the year you take that next step and you see that growth. And I also think it's an important year for J.B. Bakerstaff because they continue to to, uh, disappoint. I think Bickerstaff might be looking for a new job. That's my opinion on that situation. But the Cavs have won three in a row since those injuries, so it's good to see them dealing with the adversity. And um, they have the Pelicans tonight at 730, so we'll see if they're able to continue finding ways to get it done without two of their three best players. The story of the NBA right now, we'll update you on the standings after we talk about this a little bit, the story of the NBA right now is the Los Angeles Clippers. Out of nowhere, Clippers got off to a slow start this season. Then they, they make the James Harden trade, which a lot of people around the NBA who cover the NBA thought it was a, it was a really weird trade and that it wasn't going to work. But the Clippers have been really good. They're 17-10. They won their ninth straight game against Dallas last night. Ninth consecutive victory. Ties Orlando for the NBA's longest win streak this season. James Harden was outstanding against the Pacers on Monday night, or Tuesday night. I forget which day it was. He had 35 points, and it was like vintage James Harden. He seems to be bought in, and this Clippers team, are they for real? I mean, they could be a legit contender in the Western Conference, in my opinion, if, and this is a huge if, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and James Harden all can stay healthy. And we haven't seen that in years for this Clippers team. I think the last time we saw this team fully healthy throughout a playoff run was the bubble in 2020. Like, 2021, they made the conference finals, but Kawhi Leonard got hurt, and then obviously last year, they, last year, Kawhi, they they make the playoffs, Paul George was already out for the series, Kawhi plays that game one, they win against the Suns, and then he just goes out in game two and misses the rest of the series, and they lose in like six, like, they need Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and James Harden to be healthy, not only for the, the majority of the regular season, but for the for the entirety of the playoffs, and I just don't know how likely that is, but right now I've been really impressed with what this Clippers team has done, and I think part of it's because of the health, Kawhi's been awesome, Kawhi's looked like the Kawhi of, you know, the Raptors Kawhi in, in stretches here and they're finally starting to play good basketball and it seems like James Harden is bought in but James Harden always seems to do this with teams when he gets traded to them it seems like he's bought in he's really invested and you know engaged for the first like you know two or three months if the situation is going well but the second he's met with some adversity it all goes away so i'm interested to see if they get to that point but i'll say yes can is, are the clippers for real i'll say yes if they can stay healthy and sustain their health in the Western Conference, the number 1 team in the West right now is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're 20 and 6. I think the Timberwolves can make the finals. I've talked about the Timberwolves before on this season, and how impressed before on this podcast and how impressed I've been with them this season, but I really think they're all, they're they're a team that's kind of built to beat Den, the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic. And what I mean by that is they have the size. A lot of teams in the West don't have the size to compete with Jokic. You know, like and a lot of teams in the league, period. Like, the Warriors. The Warriors do not have the size to compete with Nikola Jokic. Like, the Mavericks don't have the size. You know, teams like that. Even OKC, I don't think, has the size to compete with the Nuggets. The Timberwolves do, with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. They have a guy in Anthony Edwards who thinks he's the best player in the league. I think he's probably a top 20 player in the league. But he has that dog mentality that he thinks he's the best guy on the court every single night. And I love for my best player to have that mentality. So I've been really impressed with the jobs that Timberwolves have done through 26 games. They're 20-6 and six leading the Western Conference. Another one of those surprise teams has been the Thunder. They're 17-8. and eight. I like the Thunder going into the year. I thought Shea Gilgis-Alexander was a top-10 player. I think the Thunder are probably still a move away from being True contenders in the Western Conference, but still a great start to the season for them. Then you got Denver, the Clippers, and the Kings at three, four, five, three teams that made the playoffs a season ago. You got the Mavericks, Pelicans, at Lakers rounding out your top eight. And then Phoenix is down at fourteen and thirteen. They're the ten seed right now. And then the Warriors are thirteen and fourteen at the eleven seed. And then how about the Grizzlies? They're seven and nineteen. I believe that's near the bottom of the league. They're thirteenth in the West, but they get John Morant back. Finally, after 19 games, so they're seven and 18 without Jaw. They get John Morant back, and he has he has a or sorry, they were six and 19 without Jaw. They get John Morant back, and he has 34 points in his return game and a game winning buzzer beater. It was awesome to see John Morant. I mean, hopefully for basketball's sake, he can stop making those off off the court mistakes in play because he's one of the most talented players in the league. In the East, it's been the Celtics show all season long. 21 and six, 14 and 0 at home. Haven't lost at home. They are atop the Eastern Conference. Then you have Milwaukee, who's won five in a row. They've been they've been playing really good basketball as of late. 20 and 7, 15 and 2 at home. The Sixers are 19 and 8. They're the three seed. Then you got 4-5-6. The Magic, the Knicks, and the Cavs. 7-8-9 Heat Pacers Nets. And honestly, that top eight is kind of who I would pick to make the playoffs. Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, Magic, Knicks, Cavs, Heat, Pacers. I don't see the Hawks doing anything. I don't see the Bill the Bulls doing anything. I don't I, the Nets just don't excite me as a team, and neither do the Raptors, Hornets, or Wizards. Like the Wizards are really bad. And then, oh, we got to talk about the Pistons before we we sign off. The Detroit Pistons are 2 and 25. They've lost their last 24 games in a row. Despite that, though, they have been over 500 for more games this season than the Chicago Bulls have. So, Good for good for the Pistons. They were 2-1 to start the year. they lost 24 games in a row. I wonder what the NBA record is. I got to look up the NBA record. Because I know the Cavs might have had the NBA record in a year after Le- Lebron, LeBron left. They beat the Clippers. Oh, wait. Here it is. Yeah. Here it is. 2010, 11 Cavs. The first year after LeBron. I remember them beating the Clippers to end the win streak. They beat the Clippers. Dude, I have great memory as an a uh, 10-year-old kid watching this. God awful Cavs team lose 26 games in a row. <laughs> the Cavs beat the Clippers 126-119 on February 11, 2011 to end their losing streak of 26 games. It last they went 19 and 63 that season. That is the longest second longest losing streak in NBA history, tied with the Philadelphia 76ers in 2013-2014. Man, the the trust-the-process Sixers were a generational tanking team because the longest losing streak in NBA history belongs to the 2014-15 and the 2015-16 Sixers, who lost 28 games. Oh, wait. I'm in, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. It wasn't it wasn't two separate 28 game losing streaks. They lost the last 10 games of the 2014-15 season. They lost the their first 18 games of the 2015-2016 season. So I don't really count that since it's uh not a continuous losing streak since you had to go since it's a different team out there. So the longest losing streak in my opinion, the longest continuous losing streak in my opinion, in NBA history, belongs to the Cavs and the Sixers, the 2010 Cavs, 2013 Sixers. So the, the Pistons are two losses away from tying the tying that losing streak. They've lost 24 games in a row. And let's see, let me let me see their upcoming schedule because I'm interested to see how this how this um, continues. It's been really funny seeing this online. I I mean, the people make memes about the Pistons. Obviously, they have lost 24 games in a row. How could you not? But Wingstop in Detroit, they, every time the Pistons win, they're giving out like five free wings or whatever to like whoever has like the Pistons app or some promotion like that. And so everybody tweets out every time the Pistons lose, they're starving the people of Detroit. Wingstop is getting no business and everything. And in a weird way, it's kind of promoting Detroit Wingstop even more. So Wingstop's probably glad the Pistons are losing this many games in a row. But 20, 24 losses in a row. They got the Jazz at home tonight. I won't be tuning in, but I will be keeping my eye on if they win because I want to see when they end the losing streak. Then they have the Nets for a back-to-back: one in Brooklyn on Saturday, the twenty-third; one in Detroit on Tuesday, the twenty-sixth. So if they lose all three of those games, that would be twenty-seven. It would set a new NBA record for non-interrupted losing streak. If I'm picking a, for their, if I'm legit predicting a first game for the Pistons to end this streak. Oh, God, they can't go 0 for December, can they? They went 0 for November. I don't know if they can go 0 for December. So I'm going to pick them to beat the Raptors on the December 30th, which means their losing streak would get to... 28 games, and they would end it after losing 28 games in a row. They beat the Raptors on the December 30th. That's my official pre- pre- prediction for the Detroit Pistons. But God, I feel bad for Pistons fans. But also at the same time, not really, because you have the Lions, who are 10-4, and, and you have Michigan football, who's going to be in the college football playoff. And with that, we're going to say so long for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to be a friend, tell a friend, share the podcast, get the word out there, support the podcast, and follow the podcast on Instagram. At Jot Sports Pod, at J O A T Sports Pod. You can also give me a follow on Twitter at TV or at The Real J Burns. That's at The Real J B E R N Z. That's it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with another award winning episode. I hope everyone listening has a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays with your friends and family. And we will talk to you after, after the holidays. And we'll see you next week with another award winning episode. Until then, I've been Jack Burney signing off.